This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. A lot of times, like in countries like India or the Andaman Islands, the internet was so slow that it was faster for us to put an episode on a thumb drive, ship it mail to my friend in Florida, (laughs) and he would upload the episodes for us and release them. And then ours would still be uploading like six days later. I'm Brady from SV Delos, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show today. I have a great guest. Brady Troutman and his brother first bought this 53-foot sloop rig sailboat, and they decided that they were going to go for about 18 months. Well, fast forward 10 years, they've gone 83,000 miles. That's three times around the equator. They've been on six of seven continents and seen some incredible things. And along the way, they figured out how to do this in a way that they can sustain themselves and live in this really cool alternate lifestyle, which is just to live on this sailboat. It's really cool. If you are a fan of their YouTube channel, you will know them as SV Delos. SV means sailing vessel, and the Delos is the name of the boat. They have. I don't know, a ton of YouTube followers, and they have been making these videos for almost 10 years. So you can check out their YouTube channel, and I think you're going to want to after you hear this interview with my friend, Brady Troutman. Brady, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing really good, man. Just kind of waking up out here in Lake Tahoe. Yeah? Lake Tahoe, that's a long way from uh, where your boat is right now. It is, man. Yeah. Yeah. We found found our stuff out here during the whole weird COVID stuff. And I don't know, it's been kind of nice to quarantine up in the mountains. And yeah, it's just beautiful up here. 
Yeah. So I've got, I've been doing my homework. I've been watching a bunch of videos. Uh, I don't really know how I didn't come across your story earlier because man, you guys have been doing this for a long time. You have a ton of YouTube videos. Um, so the SV Delos is the name of the boat, right? Yeah. The name of the boat is Delos. Exactly. And SV stands for sailing vessel. And then, so I don't know. I, I love the story. Like this started yeah. out as kind of like a, this started out as kind of like a, a break from the, from the normal life or maybe, maybe like a recharge or something. And here we are, what, 10 years later. Yeah. So yeah, can man. you, I can you I just could. kind of take me through how this all happened for you and your brother? For sure. Yeah. Um, so I kind of grew up in Arizona and Flagstaff and I was a little bit away from the ocean, obviously. Um, and when my, when I was about nine years old and my brother that I went sailing with is 10 years older than me. So he was 19 <laughs> and my parents got divorced. So I moved with my mom to Florida and he went off to college in Seattle in Washington. And for the next like five or 10 years, we kind of saw each other every once in a while. Um, but only on like Christmas and vacations and stuff. But during that time, we both got into sailing in different aspects. I was down in Florida going to college. And I was uh, teaching scuba diving down in the Florida Keys and ended up getting into sailing down there. And he was up in Seattle getting into sailing at the same time. Where, where were and you teaching scuba for, diving? Uh, it's called the Florida High Adventure, High Adventure Sea Base. Oh, yeah. It's in yeah, Isla Mirada. Yeah, yeah, well, we, yeah my, that's, uh, that's right in front of the, the road that my partner lives on or lived on for a while. He's moved on now. But yeah, that's, that's great. That's like, uh, is that Boy Scouts or is that, what is that? It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a yeah, great program. So you worked, you worked awesome. there for how long? I was there for like two years. It was only during the summers when I was going to college. Mm -hmm. So I think I did it like three summers in a row. It was so much fun, man. It was the best job in the world. Yeah. I literally got, got paid to take kids out scuba diving and teach them to dive. And, and they literally took me through all the way through my captain's licenses and dive instructor and everything. So it was a really good program to kind of get my foot in the door in sailing and diving and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Those kids, they, I mean, we, we drive past that and that just looks like the best summer camp you could ever have. There's another boy scout yeah. camp a little further down the keys, kind of as you go towards Spanish Harbor, there's another yeah. um, boy scout property. I don't know what they do there, but it's just off yeah, to it's, the it's, left. It's pretty similar. Most of them do sailing, um, camping and scuba diving. And yep, there's a whole nother base down there, down yeah. in the keys. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That, that brings yeah, you, man. it's like a small world when it's actually on, on your front doorstep. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you talk to someone, you're like, Oh really? Where's that? Where's that? Oh wow. That's yeah. next door. <laughs> that's yeah, cool. Yeah, really familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was, it was so much fun working down there. And like I said, just taking the kids out and diving. And that really, really got me into sailing because we would go sailing on our spare time or, or take the boats out. And it just got me passionate about, I never, I never knew people could live on boats. You yeah. know? It's just like one of those things you're like, what people live on boats full time. And, and, uh, it just so happened that my brother was going through the same kind of experience up in, up in Seattle. He had his own company doing like web design and software development and stuff. And he was going through the same thing. And him and his partner were like, wow, people live on boats and they, they like travel the world by boats. And, you know, we were talking and eventually him and his partner bought Delos his, his ex bought Delos. Um, and we're like, we're going to sail to Australia and we'll just start with that. And then I was still in college at the time. And my brother asked me to join for, uh, it was a trip from Mexico to French Polynesia. Hmm. It was supposed to be like 
three, four weeks at sea. And then after that, I was literally going to fly back and go to college. And I mean, I couldn't turn it down, right? It was like, yeah, <laughs> of course. Like it's the dream that I, once I started diving, all these magazines I saw were like French Polynesia, the Tuamotus, all these places for diving and fishing. And all of a sudden I could just sail there on my own boat, which was just insane to think. Yeah. About. But then you were expected to get there and get on an airplane and leave. Like after you spent three <laughs> weeks trying to get there, like who thought that was going to yeah. happen? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if any of us thought that was going to happen. I literally <laughs> took out all my student loans before that trip and was like, I signed up for all my classes, took out student loans and then dropped my classes because I needed the cash <laughs> to actually pay for the trip and, and get across the ocean. And yeah, once we got to Tahiti, it was like, wow, this is just getting started. And I felt like for once I was actually doing something that was super meaningful. I feel like I, when I was in college, it was just kind of treading water and, and doing what I was supposed to be doing to get by because society told me to do it or whatever it was. And all of a sudden I felt, yeah, like I was in the right place and just wanted to be there. So I definitely didn't fly out of the EDI. And so is this like a, at the same time, are you having this uh, kind of a, uh, a reunion with your brother and getting to know him uh, all of a sudden differently as, as kind of grown, grown people? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, when, when we left, I was 20, 21 and he was 31. So we were always super close, but yeah, living on board together, we just, I mean, we got along so well, we still get along very well. And we have all the same interests and things. So adventure and travel and diving and sailing. So it was great to not only share something like that with, with like a good friend, but also a brother. Right. So we, we got even closer over that trip. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Well, you're going to get pretty close on a 53 foot boat, uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in three weeks now, like in the Florida Keys, yeah. you have tons of people that live on boats, but I don't know how many of them are moving. Like, they come in and I'm sure there's tons of people like yourself that come in, resupply, hang out for a little bit and then take off and go somewhere else. Tons of people, of course. But we have these anchorages yeah. of of boats right out off Key West and it's the same boats there all the time. I mean, it's like a, you know, Key West is a very expensive place. So that is a legitimate um, kind of alternate to getting an apartment or a house or whatever. Right. If it's too expensive, people will buy a boat or even rent a boat and live there which is kind of the same, kind of, except that you guys, yeah. uh, from what I did my homework, 83,000 miles uh, at the time of the video that I watched the, that you sailed, 83,000 miles in this boat, which was, it said something like three times the, the equator. Like if you went around yeah. the equator, yeah. like three times, is that, is that yeah. still accurate today or is it more? It is. It's, it's, it's more than that now. It's probably closer to 90 something now. Um, like I said, we've, we've, we've gone around the world enough. The miles cover the equator three times. That's what wow. you just said. But we go north and south a lot, right? Yeah. That's why it's so, so crazy because we're always chasing the seasons. And I don't know, like you said, the people that live in, in the Keys and in Florida and live on boats and use them as apartments, it's... It's, it's definitely the same, but of course, with us, the, the beauty of it is we can move our home with us and like wherever we go, we're technically home still, yeah. but you're in some random country. So it's, it's by far the best way to, to live and travel for sure because well, you just have so much freedom. Yeah. The thing that I was checking out was like a, it was a, like a little documentary on, on the boat and everything. And it was talking about how long you could stay off the grid, which I found incredibly um, interesting because that is like my secret fantasy to live off the grid like 
maybe yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's funny for somebody that makes their living on the internet and on television that you would want to <laughs> not be there. But, um, so you, it, it went through like the way that your boat set up. So how long can you stay like completely self-sufficient? Oh man. I mean, minimum probably three or four months and really the other side of it is if you have wind and sun, um, we're, we're really just dependent on food at that point. And just like, if, if you can catch your own food, you're, you can be out forever, really. Right. So you've got, yeah. you've got wind generated power, solar generated power that can recharge right. all of your batteries. And then you've got a water tank plus desalinization. Then yep. like, what else would you need? Oh, I saw that you, you could, um, you could, um, fill all your own scuba tanks, which is sweet yeah. because now you can yeah, dive as much as you want and yeah. that's how you're going to get your food probably. And then, so what else? I mean, what, are, what's the limitation there? Like the staples, like, are you going to run out yeah. of like just food? It's really fresh. The fresh stuff is what, what really starts to get to you. Yeah. The fresh provisions last for maybe three weeks, four weeks, depending on where you are and what you, what you can get and what climate you're in. Once that's out, we have two pretty big freezers on board, so we can pack it full of stuff. We catch fish, we can pack it full. And then we have tons of storage where we can store canned food and, and, and dried food and stuff like that. So really the limitation comes if you need to run the generator on board to fill dive tanks mm. or make water, eventually you'll run out of diesel. Um, that's kind of... But, but if you run out of diesel, then you know you can catch rainwater or you don't need to dive or, you know, you can make it work at the end of the day. It right. just kind of gets a little bit harder when you run out of fresh food. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. on a, on a crossing, what would be the longest crossing that, that you've done where you would have to be completely self-sufficient like that just to get from point A to point B? Yep. That first crossing that we did from Mexico to the Marquesas in French Polynesia, that was tied for pretty much the, the, two longest crossings and that was 21 days. Wow. So and so full, like open ocean, 21 days, just and, out there. And that's the one that you choose first. Is that, I mean, <laughs> I would, you, yeah. would you choose it a different one now after you have a little bit more no, experience? Think, was that, was that being naive and, and, and inexperienced uh, that you're just like, let's do the know, biggest one first. Yeah. What surprised me the most, I guess, is once you're out in the ocean after the first four or five days it all just blends together and you just like, I don't know. Everything just melts away and you literally days go by like minutes is what it feels like. So whether it's five days or 20 days to me, it just kind of all once internet goes away and you just kind of like get sick of watching movies, then you're just reading, you get sick of reading. Then eventually you find yourself staring at the ocean for four or five hours at a time during your watch. And then it just all blends together. And what I didn't realize really is like the ocean is once you get that far offshore, it's not like the ocean changes, you know, I, I don't know if people have this idea in their head or I, even I had it of being like, Oh, out in the middle of the Pacific, it must be gnarly. Like it must be crazy waves and crazy seas. And really as long as you stay away from the storms and you plan accordingly to the, to the weather that's coming in, it's super nice. <laughs> it's really, really calming. Yeah. So how do you, how do you do that? That seems to be like a, the, the biggest factor would be the weather in my opinion. You know, I mean, you are in a, in a 53 foot boat, which sounds kind of big until you have a hurricane or a, or a big storm or, or whatever. Then all of a sudden that boat can feel very small. Um, how are you, how are you planning your, your trips and getting weather information and, 
and and changing your course if is that necessary or do you just buckle down what do you do yeah so what we talked about earlier about kind of going north and south a lot we're always staying in the hemisphere that doesn't have a hurricane season at that point so we're always kind of crossing the equator right when the seasons change which hopefully keeps us away from any big big storms like hurricanes of course there's always going to be these gnarly low pressure systems that come out of nowhere and kind of surprise you but we use a service called predict wind and they do really really good for kind of offshore passage making and big ocean weather so we're able to download through um, satellite internet uh, there's a company called viasat that's kind of hooked us up with this really cool satellite internet uh, that we can download these grid files and like big sets of data to show where the low pressures are where the storms are and really that's accurate to like four or five days out usually wow so if you can see something coming five days away, you can adjust course and, and hopefully get out of the way in enough time. Yeah. Have you not gotten out of the way in this 10 year span? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> There's been a few, a few pretty bad situations. <laughs> What's the worst? Uh, the worst for me sticks out when we were, we were crossing the Indian ocean and we were um, on our way from kind of Thailand to Madagascar. And we're like, the Indian Ocean is pretty barren. There's a few like random atolls out there, but not much. Actually, the video you watched, the best uh, fishing of our lives was filmed yeah. during that crossing, right before we kind of hit this gnarly storm. Found some nice wahoo. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. We've, we've, we had seven people on the boat. We ate for like five weeks off those fish. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so much fish. Uh, but we were sailing along towards Madagascar and there was this big low pressure system forming in the Southern Indian ocean that started coming North and we saw it coming for three or four days, but we only had a limited amount of choices to get out of the way or power through it. If we would have turned North to kind of get out of the way, it would have taken us straight to Somalia, which we didn't want to do back in you know, 2013, right. 14 pirates. Uh, we, we couldn't really turn South because of the wind angle. Uh, we couldn't like go that far into the wind. We could have heaved hove to, which is basically just stopping the boat in the middle of the ocean and you kind of work the sails out where you put the brakes on, and you just kind of float around. Um, but we didn't feel that that would have been a good choice either. So we decided just to kind of weather the storm and go go straight through it. Wow. And so this yeah, low pressure came up from underneath us and we got hit in the middle of probably about right after the sunset. It, it hit us at like 8, 9 p.m. And the winds topped 50, 60 knots, easy and big swells like swells that were 30 foot 40 foot maybe kind of knocking the boat over from side to side and it was a rough night man it was really bad like we there were seven of us on board and everybody locked themselves down below in the companionway because the cockpit was filling with water so we didn't want water to go in the boat so we locked that up and me and my brother just literally sat in the cockpit strapped in life vest and they were clipped in as well and just taking 30 minute shifts steering because it was so hard. You're just hand steering and like pitch black and this crazy wave would come and knock you over and you'd get so tired that 30 minutes and switch and you'd lay down on the cockpit floor and try and sleep for 30 minutes and then switch. And we did that for about 12 hours, I'd say, Dang. before the sun came up. And of course, when the sun comes up, it feels like things calmed down and we were able to kind of relax a little bit. And then it went away. The storm blew over us and 24 hours it was gone and we had blue skies and we made it right around the corner of madagascar and it was like holy shit and everything made it like you didn't break yeah. any, break anything god that's no, amazing luckily Del delos is a super strong boat she's she's very ocean capable and 
and she proved herself during that storm specifically where we're like, we're going to break before the boat breaks. And it was kind of a good feeling to put all your trust. Wow. That's cool because like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know a ton of you about your story except what I just read in the last day or so, but it kind of, at least this story that I read kind of made it sound like there wasn't a lot of sailing experience before you bought this boat. I mean, like you said that you had some and your brother had some, so you go to buy this boat. I mean, did you kind of get lucky that you got the right boat or could you, did you, did you know from some way that this is what you were looking for? This is the kind of boat that you needed. Um, or did it kind of happen that way? Yeah, there was a ton of research involved and there was, there was a, a, a list that, that a lot of the sailing magazines put out, like the top 10 blue water cruising mm-hmm. boats and this boat, the brand is the, it's an ML, it's a French boat boat. And it was always at the top of the list. And then like you go to the boat shows and everyone just knows, it, it just has a great reputation in the sailing community. So it wasn't really by coincidence. I mean, Brian really looked at that boat and was like, that's the boat that, yeah. that we want to take. That's really ocean capable. And it definitely proved to be that boat for sure. That's cool. So yeah. at what point does it go from, you know, like this is going to be something that you're going to do for a little while to, man, I think we could do this for a lot longer. Like what, where does that happen? Yeah. Well, let's see when we, we left Mexico in 2010 and we got to New Zealand in November of 2010. So from March till November was kind of our first big season. And I mean, I don't know, man, we were completely in love with it. We we're like, we'll figure out a way. At that point, we could have all flown home and went back to work and saved more money. But we stayed in New Zealand and I got a job managing like a Mexican restaurant. My brother did some remote IT work and also did day work, um, like doing engineer work for bigger super yachts and stuff. And we just tried to save as much as we could during the off season there before we started sailing again. And I don't know, there was a weird moment where it was like, once we did it that first season and we found jobs and like made it work, we were like, well, we could just do this forever because if we can do it here, we'll find jobs in Australia. We'll find jobs wherever we are. And worst case scenario, we'll park the boat, fly back home work and then come back and continue on. So I think after that first season, it was definitely a, we never really intended to, I guess, go around the world. It was just kind of like, let's just keep going to what seems cool. And because all the weather moves west, we just kind of naturally kept going west. Yeah. And it, when when and then when the filming came into the whole picture, um, our family and friends were like, "What the hell are you guys doing out there?" <laughs> like they just you know it was they got it. We we wrote tons of blogs. We wrote over like four hundred blogs during that period and took a lot of pictures, but we never really filmed anything until our family and friends were like, "I still don't get it." We bought a little <laughs> camera buy a little camera and started filming and putting these little episodes together and putting them on YouTube for, for our family and friends to watch. And then out of nowhere, other people just started watching. That's back in 2010. Uh, there's, there's a few videos up there from 2010. That's pretty early. Just flat picture slideshows with like text and stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, the story, the story ones really started, I'd say like 2000, 12 maybe still early man a couple, still yeah, really early. early in the game yeah and i think that's i mean that's why we organically were able to be successful is because we started so early like people could say now oh brady i want to buy a boat and start a youtube channel and make money i'm just like oh <laughs> i mean do it for you do it because you love it don't do it 
because you want to make money from it because it's just saturated now. And of course it's possible. It's, it's all possible. It's just the reason why we were successful. I think of the main reason is just because we were passionate about what we were doing and we didn't think it would lead to money. We just yeah. kind of love doing it and love sharing. Yeah. I remember the first, the first time we got a, a check from YouTube, they sent us like a $30 check or something for ad revenue. We're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, YouTube's gonna send us money for putting videos up, and they put ads on them, and it just was like this whole thing, like a revelation that led to making more videos, and then Patreon started, and uh, kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, I think it's so cool. I mean, I've had all kinds of people on this podcast, including a girl that um, I just love talking to her because she her story is very similar to yours of of just wanting to do something. What she wanted to do was to to hike. And she um, did the Appalachian Trail and then the Pacific Crest Trail and then the Continental Divide Trail. And she keeps doing these big hiking trips, you know, where she's gone, like you guys, for a tremendous amount of time. There's no working going on. But right. this YouTube opportunity and Patreon has opened it, opened the opportunity up to do what you love to do because you love to do it. And other people love watching and they're supporting it. I think it's so cool that, I mean, it's yeah. basically the internet has, has done that. It's, it's allowed people yeah. to kind of see what it is that you're doing. Maybe, maybe they'll never do it themselves. Maybe they're, they're dreaming that they can one day do it. Uh, or maybe they're planning, planning it for sure. But they give you guys a couple of bucks every time you do a video or something. And it goes a long way to helping. I mean, I can't, it probably doesn't cost very much. Have you ever figured out what it costs you to, to, to do one of these trips like per month? Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of different for, for what kind of boat you're on and all kinds of different mm -hmm. you know variables. Cause we, cause the boat's a, a nice boat. We had pretty much like a house mortgage on it. So we had a mortgage, uh, boat insurance, but the actual cost of living, not just like running the boat was it's, it's not very much, man. It's, it's like $125 per person per day is what we figured out. And that wow. was including, that was including food and fuel and a little bit of maintenance here and there. None of the big ticket maintenance items like replacing rigging and sails, but that, that covered like if somebody wanted to come out to the boat, it covered their cost basically. So then you factor in, of course, like I said, the other big costs of the boat itself and insurance right. and all that stuff. But people do it on, on boats that they, you know, they save up 40 or $50,000 and buy a boat and go sail around the world. And they live off, you know, a hundred dollars a month. <laughs> you can do it anyway. Like you can either go to these expensive marinas or you can be anchored right. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. It's super cool though. I mean, to be able to do it and then to, you know, to see, like, I, I think that that, that moment that you kind of described there of, of getting the job, making a little bit of money and realizing, man, we could just do this forever. And then, uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, was there like a, was there like a, a time when you and your brother are like, yes, let's do this. Um, and, and just keep going. Or was it a little bit, you know, stair step kind of, was there ever that one moment where you're just like, yeah, we're never going back. Yeah, there was actually, it was right after we started Patreon and like yeah. we had, we had, we already had a pretty good following on YouTube and, and we had a good following with, I mean, that was back in, like I said, 2013 or 14. And I think we had like 30,000 subscribers on YouTube, which was huge. I mean, we're like, what? Yeah. There's that many people that are out want to watch. And then when <laughs> we started, when we started Patreon, I mean, it was, it, it kind of right away, it was like four or $500 per episode we put out. And we were doing like two episodes a month. And we're like, 
well, this is definitely a viable option to like keep going. So at that point, yeah, we were like, we're all in. Let's just do this. Let's not think about leaving the boat to go make money. Or because for a while there, I would leave the boat and go work on super yachts and mm-hmm. crew on big boats and stuff, and then come back, save a bunch of money, and then come back to the boat and continue sailing. But at that point, we we made the decision just to like go all in, basically, and just work our ass off. And and pretty much we made the pledge to release an episode every Friday. Wow. Um, yeah. And that was huge. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of an interesting situation again, that you are off the grid and you're making your living on the internet basically. So <laughs> were you, were you set up for that? Or when you made this decision that we're going to do this every week, we're going to release a video, you got to have some pretty reliable internet. Did you already have that or did you have to make the investment to, to get set up to where you could, you know, do that? No. <laughs> we we had nothing. We had nothing back then, man. It was, oh, that's part of the half the adventure we filmed was trying to find internet to upload videos or, you know, a lot of times like in countries like India or the Andaman Islands, the internet was so slow that it was faster for us to put an episode on a thumb drive, ship it mail to my friend in Florida, <laughs> and he would upload the episodes for us and release them. And then ours would still be uploading like six days later. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, but so you're able a lot to of, a lot of struggles with that. But then, but you're able to edit and everything just right on the boat without having to go to land yeah. and and just process all that stuff yourself, and then then somehow yeah. get to a place where you can ship it. Yep, exactly. That was that was the incredible moment too. Is when you realize all you need is is a couple of really good cameras and and a laptop, and you can really just make great YouTube episodes out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. And then, yeah. And then it seems as though your your production quality has gone up. Um, I saw drones, GoPros, you know, you got all kinds of stuff going on now. Um, do you just continue to kind of step it up a little bit? Or has, has, has there been like a, a big step one time when you get the Patreon or when you get more followers? Did, did you have a big step in production at one point? Yeah, man, I'd say when, when drones came into the picture and they became like readily available, mm-hmm. that was a huge jump for us for for like the cinematic quality. And we were always, we were never into like the vlogging where you do like a 10 to 12 minute episode. It just, for us, I mean, I love, I love watching vlogs like that, but for us, it just felt like we wanted to create like a story basically mm-hmm. and make it 20 minutes or more is what we always would shoot for. And maybe that's not the best thing for YouTube for all the analytics and algorithms and stuff, but it is what it is. That's what we really were passionate about. So once we got like, we got a Panasonic GH5 and the drone and we started doing like slow-mo stuff and more cinematic stuff that really, I don't know, just changed our perspective. And at that point made us stand out from a lot of the other channels doing the sailing vlogs as well. Yeah. And yeah, it was just really cool. I think we're constantly trying to evolve and, and, get new camera gear and learn new camera gear because we really, really do enjoy the filming side and creating the story yeah. aspect of the whole YouTube game. So you, you, does anybody have any television background or, or are you just kind of doing this on the fly because you, you put it together kind of like a TV show, like, you know, on this episode, this is what's going to happen. Right. And then you tease in the next episode. I mean, it's really very similar to a, I mean, a more of a television format than a vlog format. Like you're, like you were describing. Does anybody yeah. have any background in no. TV? <laughs> no, we just were like, man, there should be a reality show about a bunch of people sailing around the world. And we just kind of like came up with our own little formula and just I kept know. going for it. Well, your formula obviously works and people really like it. 
if a television network got a hold of it, they would want to, um, I don't know, have dramatized it. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. It's never going to yeah. stay the way that, that yours is pretty pure, right? Like it's like, oh, we're yeah. just kind of having fun. Look, we're going to go scuba yeah. diving. No, that would never yeah. fly on regular TV. They would, they would definitely. No, they've, they've, we've been, we've been approached quite a few times by networks to really wanting to do a pilot. And we've let a few people do a pilot and it's just like, what is, what is this? Like, it's just so, it's so cringy. And it's just, you lose so much of your creativity when you do, when you go that route. And then what are you doing it for at the end of the day? Then if you're not doing it for yourself and if you're not passionate about it anymore, it's kind of like, ah, it's not fun. We sold out or something. So yeah. Well, in, in along the way, like you, you've had other people come on the boat and it sounded like even, even interns, like people that can help you to produce these videos or I don't know, what are the, what are all the other people coming on the boat for? Like it's in the one I saw, it said you've had like 60 different people come on the boat and, um, and then some of them were described as interns. So did you just like reach out to your Patreon audience and your YouTube audience and say, Hey, if anybody wants to experience this, you can do it. Yeah. That's a huge one. We, we started out uh, when Patreon was still small and, and we didn't uh, have a Patreon account. It was just friends and family. It was basically like, it was me and, and my, my ex-girlfriend and my brother and, and his girlfriend, who's now his wife. And it was the four of us. And then we'd just be like, Oh, so-and-so's friend wants to come out for a month. And they'd come out and it was always a rule that if you came to the boat, you, we all worked the same amount. So you, you'd cook, you'd clean, you'd film, and we'd teach you how to edit. And it was just like everyone shared all the duties and everyone got all the rewards, basically. And then, yeah, as we, as we went along, we just met people. I think to the YouTube world, you get like connected with other people who are videographers or filmmakers. And, and then you just hit it off. Like the guy, Kirill, he still edits for us. We met him in South Africa and he's an amazing videographer and editor. And he still does a lot of the stuff now. And then uh, my girlfriend currently, she joined us in South Africa. We've been together for three years now. She sailed with us for three years. Wow. And she was into videography and photography and sailing and scuba diving when she joined. So it's really cool. Yeah, we just get a bunch of kind of random people that organically flow into the project and just kind of bring their own taste and vibe. And we let them run with it, their creativity. And, and it always makes it really interesting from different perspectives of the crew. Yeah, that's cool to be able to, you know, to offer the people that have been watching your videos an opportunity to actually go there and and be on yeah. the boat. That's that's pretty wild. So, and then like you were talking about patrons, so a lot of the times we'll we'll put a bunch of our patrons name in a hat and we'll just pick a name out and be like so and so's coming sailing with us. Really? And it just yeah, it just Do they show up. Just, yeah, of course, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, we, 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 we put out a post first and say out of all of our patrons, who's available to come sailing. And then out of those people that say they're available or want to come, that's who we pick out. Nice. Out of a, a hat. And we did it. We did it. Uh, we crossed from me and my girlfriend crossed from, um, we did Florida, Bermuda, Azores, Spain, and then back to the Caribbean and from Spain. So the Canary islands, we picked a patron to join us. And that was a 19 day sail. And it was just a guy that he's a sailor, but had never been able to cross an ocean. It was like a bucket list item for him. So we just asked him to join and he joined us on that ocean crossing. It was a great experience for all of us because when you have people on board that it's new to them, right? You're kind of, you get reignited from what sure. you felt back in the beginning. So it's always yeah. cool to have fresh It's just like being a fishing guide, man. You take people that have never done it before and all of a sudden you catch some little fish, you know, and it's like, you, like, you yeah. get, yeah, you get the, you get the excitement that I mean, you, a lot of times the guide's more excited than the, 
than the angler, you know, because you kind of remember yeah. like what that was like and how cool that was. Um, but that's super yeah. cool that, that you give that opportunity. So how does it work with, with like you and your brother did, like you just said that you and your girlfriend went to all those different places and had that one guy on boat. Do, do you guys just like take a break from the boat for a little while or, or I don't know, it seems like they're on it right now, right? Your brother yeah. and his wife and their baby, which is yep. in incredible. I mean, I'm a dad, yeah. I'm a father of three. Um, it was, yeah. uh, let's just say super challenging to raise a baby in a house and, you know, I mean, to do it on a boat, not, not that it's impossible. I, I find it really intriguing because it's just like, man, I mean, there's already a lot of challenges to raising a baby, period. Now you're doing it on a boat and now you're doing it and moving from place to place to place and going like across a whole ocean with yeah, dude. like a newborn. Like that's, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it really yeah, is. It is. It's, it's so incredible. I mean, like, so for the first nine years, I guess it was pretty much me and my brother all the time. His uh, girlfriend, who's the wife at the time joined us like seven years ago. And then my girlfriend joined three years ago. So there was like four, four of us that were the core crew. Then when, when my brother and Karen, his wife um, got pregnant, they flew off to Sweden to have the baby. She's from Sweden. So they flew off to Sweden to have the baby. And me and my girlfriend took over the boat for that season, that six month season. So we got a couple of friends of ours. We also did a scholarship where we kind of put out for somebody between the ages of 16 and 22 to come along and experience crossing an ocean and learn. And we, we met this kid from uh, the UK who was a film school student. Yeah. So we paid full, all expenses paid for him to come out and basically just kind of like learn how to sail and make YouTube videos. I hope and, he learned how to yeah, put on was, sunscreen. He did. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> really, seen. He was a great kid. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so he, he came out, did, did you see your production value go up when you have a, a film student out there? Definitely. Yeah. It was just, I mean, we, we were a well-oiled machine when it's like me and my brother and our, and our two partners. Right. And then we took them two out of the picture cause they went to have a baby. So it was a lot of struggles, but at the same time, it, it gave room to, to adapt and to kind of be creative in different ways. And, and other people took on roles that normally they wouldn't have if all four of us were on the boat. Yeah. So it was challenging for sure, but we made, I don't know, we made about 16 episodes during that season and I'm super proud of what we made and, yeah, it was a great, great time overall. And then when we came back to the Caribbean, that's when my brother and his wife and the baby came back. And at that point, I mean, after you do something for so long, I honestly was just burnt out, man. I was just like, I've been traveling and moving for 10 years. I don't have a home base. I don't feel like picking up the camera anymore. I'm just not creative. I just, it's kind of like needed to step away for a minute. So me and my girlfriend came to Tahoe. Mm. And then we came here in, in December, basically, to take some time away from the boat and uh, let them kind of continue on with the baby and, and have their family time. And then, of course, COVID hit. So it was like, well, I guess we'll stay in Tahoe a bit longer than, yeah. than planned. How long which is, is it? Which is, have you, have you kind of had a yearning or seen, seen, I'm sure for a while when you're burned out on anything, I mean, I've experienced it myself, you take some time away from it and you don't miss it at all. Like not at yeah. all. Like I don't miss yeah. that little boat one bit and this house is awesome. And I haven't fall, you know, hit my head on the wall when, when the ocean does yeah. something crazy. Um, have you had the yearning to, to kind of go back yet? It's just now starting. So I've been <laughs> away from the boat. I've been away from the boat now for like six months and I'm just now like 
oh man, I'd love to go cross an ocean or I miss the feeling of being out there. I mean, being in Tahoe, I'm so grateful to be here because it's just an incredible place. There's a huge lake that I get to sail on, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of days that I sail on the lake all the time. There's hiking, there's camping. So if, I mean, I couldn't be in a city right now, I guess. And then I definitely miss sailing, but because I am where I am, I'm really lucky to not yearn it as much as maybe I would. And I mean, a cool thing we were just talking about with like the baby on board and Brian and, and Karen, they, they were in the Bahamas. They went to the Bahamas after we left and they got stuck there for like 130 days. Or I, something. I, I, I know that's, those were the videos that I was checking out. You know, those were the first yeah. ones that I saw, you know, 130 days on the boat. And that's when I started looking into the boat. I was like, well, how long could they stay on this boat? Because, you know, my, I've got some friends in the Bahamas and, and uh, there were no COVID cases in the Bahamas for a while. And they weren't yeah. letting people on there. And like, nope. you know, so what did they do for, could they radio in and they would go put supplies out on the dock for them or something? Like, is that how so it was working? Were, they were really remote. They were in the Ragged Islands. Yeah, so they I know were where that is. Really far, really far from Georgetown. There's there's an island around the corner. I don't know the name of it, but that a, that a mail, a mail boat, like a mail ferry mm-hmm. would come to once, yeah. once every week or once every two weeks. And they would put the order of the fresh produce in on the mail boat. So then they would, the, the fresh food would come in on mm-hmm. the mailboat. But at the anchorage they were at, like, talk about self-sufficient. I mean, during the, the, the legal lobster season, they were out catching their own lobster and catching fish and making their own water. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream, really, for a lot of people. Um, me, I was like, ah, I'm kind of good where I am right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a dream for a lot of people for two weeks. 130 exactly, days yeah. on a 53 foot like, boat when nobody's letting you get on dry ground and you have a baby. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. dang dude, that's like, I know that's, I have that's, a lot of respect for them, man. Yeah. I mean, it's serious. So, um, have you, do you, do you talk about like, well, how long do you think you might want to continue to live on a boat with a baby? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, you don't want to, you want to like, I don't be, be kind of, I don't know. You don't want to discourage them, but I mean, that's got to be super challenging. Sure. And there's got to be at yeah. some point you're kind of like, man, it would be nice to like have, have a floor, a big floor for the baby to play on or like, you know, all kinds of things like, and then other kids yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, so what, what are their plans? Yeah. I, I mean, Dallas is a pretty big boat when it comes to just like two people and a baby living aboard. Mm-hmm. I think they have plenty of space and and the mindset that that they have about life and about traveling and, and experiencing the world. I think they're completely fine living on that boat forever. Yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah, I, I think I think they'll adapt and and they love it for what it is and they'll raise a beautiful daughter on board. And it was kind of a, a good catalyst for me and my girlfriend at the time to like kind of evolve as well because. I mean, I'm never going to live on the boat full time again because it's just kind of like I did that for 10 years and now it's time to, to do something different and, and move on to something and have them, you know, raise their baby on the boat. Yeah. It's just beautiful the way, the way it's kind of evolved. And, but like I said, I don't think they'll, they'll want to uh, go move on to land anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, it, they seem perfectly happy. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, like thriving, you know, I mean, it, yeah. you watch those videos and you're like, yeah, this is exactly what they want to be doing. It's really cool. Uh-huh. And it's so yeah. it's so alternative to like, I don't know. I mean, it's a chosen lifestyle that a lot of people think is completely impossible. And 
And I just love stories like that to where people have just figured it out. They're like, well, this is what we want to do and we're going to figure it out. And you know what? Sooner or later, some kind of technology comes along and makes it possible for you to have Patreon or YouTube or podcasts or blogs or something. And there's some sort of way that you can make a living doing anything. I'm quite um, a big believer in that. I, I believe that if you got the passion and you got the enthusiasm and you've got the want to, that you can make it make anything happen. I mean, you yeah, may have to exactly. think really creatively, <laughs> like really creatively. Obviously, yeah. if no one has ever done this the way that you're doing it, then it's been difficult for some people, but that doesn't mean yeah. that it's impossible. And with enough creative thinking, you can make it, you can make it happen. I've seen it with fishing guides. I've seen it with hunting guides, this, this backpacker, you know, a professional backpacker. That's, yeah, that's crazy talk. Like who, yeah, who thinks she can be a, a professional backpacker, but she's pulling it off, man. And she's doing it it's with the same world, recipe. Man. She's doing it with very similar recipe to what you guys have figured out, you know, uh, yeah. completely independent of one another that there are these little tools and you can put them to work. And if you do a good job and put your heart into it, that people will respond and, and support you. That's really super yeah. cool. I think that's what I was saying earlier too. As long as you do something with passion and like you do it because you love it and not to make a career out of it, eventually it's going to work out. Like you said, there's going to be something that comes into your path into, into the world that like makes it possible for you to make a living from it. If you just push long enough, stick to your passions, follow your heart, it, it will eventually work out. Yeah. So what's next for you? Well, we were going to start a, uh, we call it the Cruises Academy. And it was basically like a hands-on school for people who want to go and do this, live, live on a boat full time. And so we wouldn't just teach sailing. We would teach, you know, how do you make water? How does the water maker work? Like, how do you check weather? All these kind of things that go with living on a boat full time, not just the, the skill of sailing. That was supposed to happen this fall, but with COVID, kind of nobody wants to travel internationally and there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. So we've kind of scaled down and moved it to Lake Tahoe. So we just started a sailing school up here oh, cool. in Lake Tahoe called the Cruises Academy. And we started out teaching kids uh, a couple days a week. And it's great, man. It's like we get to go sailing and spread our knowledge of sailing to these kids up here. And, and so, filming. so when you start with kids, like what kind of boats do you choose? What's the, what's the boat you choose for to teach a kid how to sail? Well, all this kind of fell into our lap. So we, we found this boat in, in this lady's like backyard, basically. It was covered in a tarp. It was an old wooden snipe. So it's like a 15 and a half foot wooden boat. And we found that boat at literally the same week that all the summer camps in Tahoe got canceled. Mm-hmm. So these parents of the kids that were supposed to go to the summer camps reached out to us personally and were like, hey... Would you be get, would you guys be interested in teaching private sailing lessons to our kids because the summer camp is closed? And I was like, well, we just found this boat that's like totally wrecked, the woods destroyed. <laughs> How about we have the kids come out and like revarnish it, resand it, like get it floating, and then we'll take it sailing. And it'll be like this cool thing where they they like bring a boat back from the death and, and from the dead, and then we, we sail it. So that's how it happened the first two weeks. And then recently we've just bought a Catalina twenty two and kind of moved on to the next step for the kids of like doing on a bigger boat. And uh, yeah, we'll just see where, where it goes from there. <laughs> and that's cool. And, um, yeah. and then your brother and his wife, um, are they really going North? Is that what the plan is? Cause that's what it said on their videos that they were thinking about yeah. going to Greenland. Well, we were supposed to, I was supposed to be back on Delos 
pretty much by this point, and we were going to start heading towards the Northwest Passage, like trying to take the passage above uh, Canada, come out over by Alaska. Mm. But Canada basically closed its borders um, because of all the indigenous tribes up there. They don't want any viruses affecting the smaller tribes. So Canada closed its borders for pretty much the whole season. So going that far north as of right now is off. They could open them up and it could happen. But I know Brian and Karen's next step is to move their way up to Maine and cruise around up there. There's so much beautiful sailing to do up there. Mm. And I think just spend summer in Maine and, and see what happens after that. Yeah. Summer in Maine's pretty cool. I've never spent an entire summer there, but I did go to a wedding there once and the climate is super nice. It's like the Rocky Mountains yeah. in the West, you know, like in the summertime. It's hard to it's hard to beat that or the Florida Keys or the Bahamas in the winter. You know, it's like it's got that same <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of feel, like kind of nice and cool and dry. And it just it was cool. Like I liked I liked Maine. I think I'd like to spend a lot like, more time like, up there. Do you like cold environments? Yeah. I mean, I like them. Uh, I don't know that I want to live in one. Um, I, the, the joke is that I tried to live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and, and that's how I ended up in Key West because <laughs> it was a little too cold. <laughs> and I went as far yeah. south as you could possibly get and still stay in the United States. But, um, you know, I like the cold, uh, certainly to visit. I like to ski. I like to be in the cold. But I don't know that I want to live there. I mean, yeah, it's not that I wouldn't. It's just, I guess if I had the choice, I'd probably pick hot rather than cold. I don't know. I get that. Man. What about you? Yeah. Are you a hot person or a cold person? I mean, I've been a hot person my whole life, and now I've found myself in the mountains. So <laughs> it's I, I love it. I love it. I love snowboarding and skiing, and I love the snow. But I do, I do. I mean, I have to have both, I think. And that's what we're trying to kind of create is to have like six months sailing in tropical, you know, warm waters near the equator and then have the mountain life as well on the other yeah. side. I mean, the so mountain I life is, a- the mountain life's awesome. I love it out there. I'm going to spend a lot of time yeah. in Jackson, Wyoming, and my boys are up in Bozeman, Montana. So I go and visit them and I just, I just love the the Rocky Mountains. It's just, it's, yeah. I don't know. There's something about it. Like, just it's beautiful, man. It's a really cool it's place. Fresh. And you get to all those national parks. And um, I mean, it's just some of the most incredible country that we have available to us. And, um, you know, even in the, even in the desert Southwest, I love that too. Like, I don't know. I like, I like, I like it all, man. I mean, really, I don't know yeah. that I could pick, pick one that I would want to right. live there forever. Um, but there are certain places that you get to that you just, they just have a feel to them that you just kind of like, I feel the energy of this place. Like Yellowstone national park is one that I've, I've mentioned that about a, a, a few times that you, I get in Yellowstone national park and I'm just like, wow, this, there's something special about this place. I felt the same thing in Hawaii. I felt the same thing, um, you know, in, in, in the Florida keys. And, um, you know, you just get to these places. It's just like, I don't know what it is, but like this place has extra yeah, extra energy to it. It's a real good, real good point, man. Because a lot of people are like, are "You crazy? Like your your identity as a sailor to be like out in the ocean and always near tropical waters, and then all of a sudden you just move to Tahoe, like landlocked and up in the mountains." <laughs> it's like, well, they they both have this special attraction that is totally different, but still the same. It's just like the wilderness of the world that I don't know just draws you in in both extremes. Yeah, but you know, like cool. I mean, I can totally see. Like, I mean, you get you, you did this, like you did this to a, to a level that most people won't ever experience. And then you get to a place and you're like, 
time to move on. I want to see, I want to see something else. Like, it's not like you're giving up on your dreams or anything. I mean, you did it and you kind of were like, okay, it's time to, time to move on. Or it's at least time to experience something else and see if I like that as much as I like what you're doing, you know, on the boat. But I mean, to, to be able to do what you did, um, for 10 years, that's, that's awesome, man. It's, it's a good run, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a good run. So in those, in those play, I mean, was there like, were there a couple places that you, that you think, you know, were, were the, the real jewels of what you got to see, like some of your favorites? Yeah. I mean, speaking of, of cold weather, we did a sailing trip. It wasn't on Delos. It was on a friend's boat. We did a sailing trip up to Svalbard. Where's that? that? No, it's like North, it's like Northwest of Norway. It's okay. only like five, it's like 500 miles from the North pole. It's, wow. it's way up in the Arctic circle. And we got invited by some friends of ours that had a boat that has trips up there to go, to go sailing. And we spent like three weeks up there filming and it was, I mean, it's magical. Like we, we saw polar bears, beluga whales and walrus and like all these things that you'd see on, I mean, calving glaciers. We're actually, uh, another thing that I've been working on since I've been landlocked here is, is editing that we're, we're doing like a mini series, like evolving for this specific project. We're evolving out of the YouTube space and we're doing, it's a four part mini series and it's, in its final stages and and we don't know where it's going to be released yet, but hopefully, I mean, it's in front of Netflix and Hulu and all the kind of bigger guys to see if there's a market out there outside of YouTube for us to do these longer format kind of documentary style episodes. So really stoked about that. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and so a four part series, is that like four 30 minute episodes or four hour long episodes or what? 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. They're about 30 minutes. Yeah. And is that kind of a story, you know, like a, a sequential kind of a thing or do you have to watch them in order? It is. Yeah. I mean, it, we, I wanted to make it in a way that if you didn't know who Dallas was or didn't know, you could still watch it from the beginning and like get an idea that who we are, like we came from this, we, we have a YouTube channel and we've been invited on this expedition kind of thing. So it's definitely sequential. It follows, follows your way through three weeks up in the Arctic and kind of the, the crazy shit that we see and run into and the problems we have and weather and kind of just takes you through the whole process of coming from warm weather sailing, what it's like to go up there, <laughs> no Man, board shorts and jumping off the boat. I can only imagine uh, you is the board, is the boat freezing up? Is it, I mean, is that an issue <laughs> like that you get the, the spray from the ocean it gets cold enough, like in the, in the fishing uh, shows where they're up there doing the sword fishing and everything, it gets so cold that the ocean water's freezing on the boat and they got to go out there with sledgehammers and axes and knock it off. That seems too cold to me. Yeah. Luckily. (laughs) Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. We, we did it. We did our trip. We did our trip during the summer. So it was, I mean, the, the air temperature was hovering right above freezing and the water temperature was like, a degree or two above freezing so that's doable was, i could do that it was do it was doable and the sun is always up in the summer so yeah. literally the sun just goes above your head in a circle so wow. it never if it's three in the morning or three in the afternoon it looks exactly the same you have no <laughs> idea what time it is which is great because i mean you you'd spend the day sailing and you get to a place at two in the morning and it's just like blue clear skies and you're like oh let's go for a hike it huh. really just doesn't matter you just slept when you were tired 
Wow, that's oh, yeah, cool. I did. I, I experienced cool that way north in Canada, and then again in Alaska. You know, to it to not not to that extreme, but you know, you get way north, and and the days are like super long, and it barely gets dark, and yeah. then it just starts to get light again. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like if 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 you haven't experienced that, it's 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 kind of weird. But I tell you, I would much rather have it like that than the other way of never really getting light. Like in those same areas in the wintertime. The other half like, of the year. Yeah, man. I don't know. That's where I think depression could get in there a yeah. little bit. You're, it's just always could, dark and cold. So what about those polar bears that you're seeing up there? Because that is like, man, I mean, I have some experience with grizzly bears and black bears. And we see them, you know, and in, in, in stuff in Yellowstone and other places. That is a big, incredible animal, the grizzly bear. But a polar bear is like even bigger, more, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess people don't get eaten by polar bears as much because there's not as much interaction, but I know that they yeah. would and oh, what yeah. they can do, like they go down and get um, like seals and whales and all kinds of things, man. That, that is a, that is a scary, scary animal. How did yeah. you see those from the boat? Yeah. Um, so it's really, yeah, from the boat, it's really interesting that in Svalbard, if you, if you go on land, you're required to have a rifle with you for polar bear protection. Don't doubt it. Because, yeah. So like it's it, the, the polar bear danger is super serious up there. And, and you always kind of have to have somebody watching your back when you're on shore. And luckily the, these polar bears that we found, it was a mom and a cub and they were kind of walking on the shoreline and we were in the boat so we could see them from the water, which is kind of the best scenario possible. Yeah. So we're not like encroaching on their land. We're not, we're not defending them at all. And they found this old seal carcass that was like probably years old. It was just bones. And they're sitting there like trying to eat on it. And it was pretty sad actually to watch. We stayed with them for like an hour or so. They crossed over this other ridge and we're just kind of following with them on the shoreline. And then they found this huge chunk of blubber. It was like a whale carcass left over from last season. And it was almost like they started smiling. Like they were, <laughs> they started just in, inhaling blubber licking their lips, like growling. And it was just such a cool sight to see how their morale boosted from finding that terrible bony carcass to like a big pile of blubber. Wow. That's got, so cool. And, and to we, have were, the, we were in such a yeah right place to film it and to capture it all. And yeah, it was a really great. Oh, experience. you, you had, you had your good camera gear there. Did you have some oh, yeah. big lenses? Could you get pretty close? Oh, yeah. yeah, we were, we were probably only about 50 yards or so from really? the shore where they were. So we were already pretty close and then uh, maybe a little bit further than that. But and we had big telephoto lenses. On wow. Too, yeah. That's amazing. That's a, that's yeah. really an opportunity of a lifetime crazy. to be in a boat like that. I had a, I had an experience with a black bear kind of similar to that. We were on Jenny Lake with my dad and um, we, there's a very, very popular trail that runs right along Jenny Lake and goes to hidden falls and we look up and here comes a black bear down, down this hill and he gets right on the trail and just starts walking and doesn't associate us with anything. So we're like you, yeah. just really close to the shore, got to watch that bear. And then here come these people down the trail. And this is just a black bear, not a polar bear, like, like you're talking right. about. But uh, my dad's like, should we tell him? And I'm like, man, I think if we tell him, we're going to spook the bear or something or spook the people. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Let's just see how this plays out. And the bear smells them, sees them, jumps up behind this big rock. They walk in front. The people walk back or the bear walks back down on the trail and just kept on going his way. And then it happened like two or three other times. 
And that made me think, man, how often does that happen with a, with a bear, like in the back country where they know you're there and they just, they don't want anything to do with you. They just hop up. Now I don't know that that would be the case with a polar bear. I think a polar bear would lay down in the snow and wait for you to come and then eat you. (laughs) Yeah. And especially, I mean, the ones that we're seeing too, like by that point that during the winter, the ice surrounds Svalbard. So it's completely covered in ice. And the polar bears, when the ice starts to retreat for the summer, they climb onto the ice because that's where they hunt seals. So these polar bears got left behind when the ice shelf melted away. Oh, man. So they're hungry. Yeah. They're super hungry during the summer up there. And yeah, I would not want to be on land with one of those bears searching for food. No way. And what a predator. I mean, the thing is, the thing is perfectly camouflaged. It looks exactly like every little hump of snow and ice out there. And then... Man, what a what a incredible predator that that yeah. that bear. That's amazing, and they're huge too, right? Yeah. The one you saw was yeah. really big. Oh yeah, it was it was a mom and a cub, and the mom was. I mean, if it would have stood up straight, it would have been like eight or nine foot tall, yeah. probably. Just I mean, like with its paws, they're huge. I mean, they can be like a thousand pounds, no problem. Yeah, what an incredible animal, man! They're huge. That's yeah. awesome. I can't wait to see yeah, that footage. Cool. That'll be cool. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be being released sometime this uh, this summer. We're, we're hoping to release it. If if nothing kind of comes through with with other stuff, we're just going to self publish and put it on our website, and uh, yeah, open it up to the world. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And so um, that's kind of the the uh, the the new direction. That are, is that like a direction that you're taking now that you're on land, or mm-hmm. kind of, and then the YouTube stuff will continue as as uh, your brother and his wife and and Sierra are hanging out on the boat doing their thing yeah i think so i mean we had a we had a talk about this and like brian and karen that they love doing the youtube stuff and they love running the running the channel and and filming and editing the episodes of them and their family and stuff and i've for the past couple years have really wanted to move on to bigger kind of feature length documentaries and stuff and and evolve out of that and uh yeah i mean we'll see how this one goes it's a good proving ground to see if this concept works and if it does then Definitely, we'll we'll go and do some other ones, and maybe do a Northwest Passage one, or or South Pacific one, or something that's a bit, yeah, a bit more work. I mean, we've been working on this this series for two years now. In the background, while we're doing the YouTube stuff, we kind of come back and forth to it. And since I've been here, I've just spent the solid six months or so finalizing the editing and getting everything good good to go. And so, so did you? Um contract with somebody like a, a some sort of an agent person that can can get it in front of netflix and hulu or did you take that on by yourself too uh we took a lot of that on by ourselves just through random contacts you'd be surprised who watches the show yeah <laughs> who watches dallas you know kind of reach out and people reach out and say oh you know i i'm a producer here i do this and then you, you're like hey put this in front of people and that's kind of what's happening now is we're just it's out kind of in front of some people and We'll just see what comes back if, if people are interested or not. And we'll yeah. just go from there. Well, you've made that's it work. It's all word of mouth. Yeah. We'll, you've we'll made it work it so far. Like I, I have no doubt that, that either that'll pan out or something else. Like we talked about, like you just never know, like, but, but it's obvious yeah. that people really like what you guys have done and, and uh, continue to do. And um, it's awesome, man. Thanks, awesome. man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, I think that, um, so if people wanted to find out or find the channel, find your Patreon, what would they do? How would they find that? Uh, the best thing is to go to our social media stuff. So, uh, SV Delos, if you search SV Delos and in, in Google, you'll see our YouTube. So definitely subscribe to that. It helps a lot. 
um, and our Instagram account. You can find all like more current stuff because the YouTube videos are are like a month or so production time behind. So the current stuff of where Delos is and what's going on is at SV Delos on Instagram. And that's where we'll be releasing all the info about like the mini series and any future plans or meetups or any of that kind of stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And then your sailing club, or is it a club or a camp yeah. or what is it? It's something. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's in its infancy. Things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh yeah, that's called the cruisers Academy. So if, if people can go to the cruisers academy.com, or they can follow me on Instagram. It's at Senior Brady. And that's not Senior like an old man. It's Senior like Mr. in Spanish. Okay. And then we'll update stuff of what specifically me and my girlfriend are doing up here and how that Cruiser, Cruiser Academy is going. Eventually, it'll be an Ocean Academy. Right now, it's Lake Tahoe Academy. And we're just doing it a couple of days a week to feel it out and, and teach and get out sailing. And yeah, just to kind of get back to the roots of sailing on a small boat. And that's it's awesome. been incredible, man. It's really yeah. great to downsize. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in all of their 83,000 miles that, that the boat has, has been around the world, you ever see anything that you just couldn't explain? Ooh, that's a good question, man. You know, there was this weird, weird thing that happened. I'm sure a, a marine biologist or something would explain it to us, but we were sailing down the coast of Madagascar, like between Africa and Madagascar, there's something called the Mozambique Channel. And we were sailing down that on our way to Cape Town. And it was the middle of the night. And Karen, my brother's wife, was on watch. And she woke everybody up. She's like, what the hell is this? What's going on? And surrounding the boat was like these glowing orbs. And there's probably three, 400 of them at least around the boat, the size of like a kickball, like pretty wow. big. And they were all pulsating at the same time with Whoa. lights. And they were all just like... Doof, doof. And we're like, what the hell is that? And I think, I don't know if anybody told us, we put it on, you can't really see it on video in the episode, but we talked about it. And a few marine biologists were like, I've never heard of that. Don't know what it is. Probably some creature that's never been discovered coming up, migrating at night to come to the surface to feed. Or some other people said it could have been like a big school of jellyfish that were like interacting together a lot like fireflies do in a tree. Yeah. It was, it was bizarre, man. We were just sat there, watched it for like 20 minutes. like. What the hell is this? No kidding. I mean that that is yeah. that is totally bizarre. But you're you're you know in all of those miles you're going places that people just don't often go, even if they're in some kind of shipping lane or whatever. It's like yeah, still very few people go there. Like and yeah, you're and moving. Even if you're there, looking over the side. Not people. Not many people are doing that all the time. Right. Either. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. figured you had to see some crazy stuff. Maybe even flying things, UFOs. Like there's a lot of UFO. Uh, uh, sightings way out in the middle of the ocean by like fighter pilots and stuff. I don't know if you saw the yeah. the videos I that wish. came out and and they were like, I don't know, man. There's these there's these pilots that that think that there's uh, I I mean I don't know how to explain it. Whether they're not saying that yeah. they think that they're UFOs in the ocean, but they've seen things that can't be explained and they disappear into the ocean. And yeah, you know what what is that? I, they they don't know. They're not making a claim that it's like a UFO or aliens or they're just saying, I don't know what it was, but it moved faster than and different than anything we have on this planet and it disappeared into the ocean. So you yeah. tell me what it was. I don't know. Oh man, I, f I fully believe there's shit down there that 
is a lot that nobody knows about. Of course. And whether it's from other planets or there's, there's, it's crazy. I I mean, you can go crazy and think it's from other planets or whatever. And the possibility of that happening is, is great. We've only explored a tiny percent of the ocean, but what does happen is like you have a fish like the coelacanth and uh, it's supposed, the books say that this thing's been extinct for a long, long, long time. And then one washes up on the beach. And it's like, oh, well, maybe we just weren't looking in the right place for this or or we didn't have the technology to get down deep enough to see it. And now, oh, yeah, we found a couple now, you know, but like you have this thing that washes up on on shore that's supposed to be a fossil like (laughs) and and it's it's not. It's like living, you know, so I don't know. I think that the ocean is a. Very big place with all kinds of... Are those the fish that look like crazy, like devils? Yeah, they are wild looking. Like, yeah, it looks like something that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, like something out of a cartoon or something like the coelacan. And coelacan is like spelled with a C. And uh, and they, you know, they found a bunch of them now, or or at least a few of them, more than just one. And then those giant squid, like... Man, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw a giant squid out there somewhere where where you were. But I mean, people yeah. see those too, and they're like, and then they find like parts of them, like one one arm that's like huge. Yeah. I don't know, like who scary. ripped that off? Yeah, no kidding. I guess a sperm <laughs> whale. But you see, then they they talk yeah. about like all the all the like marine like. Um, I don't know. I guess it's like a legend. Marine legends are like the the sperm whales and the giant squid would fight and the, you would have these sperm whales that would have these scars and marks all over their head. And it's like, man, something was yeah. really trying to eat that. Like seriously? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the suction cup marks. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and yeah. you start thinking, man, I mean, if something was trying to eat that, that's that's a big <laughs> creature, you know? Yeah. But and those yeah. sperm whales, they have all those teeth, you know. They're a different kind of whale, so they're they're obviously designed to eat something different than just yeah. plankton or whatever. But I don't know. I don't know. The yeah. ocean's a cool place, man. It's it it'll get your imagination going. And I guess when you're out there and you see weird stuff, yeah. that's I don't know. You know, I wish I wish I saw more weird because that's a question <laughs> we get often. Like, do you ever see any weird stuff out there? And I I wish I saw more stuff than I have. You know, like, well, I mean, I'm the weird waiting. stuff. I'm sitting out there waiting for like the, this crazy thing to pop out, or like, yeah, but you know, UFO to fly over. Or it something. would probably never happen like that, though. It's probably more like like your brother's wife is like, "What the hell is going on?" Like exactly. all of a sudden, is a mundane period of time, and then crazy stuff happens. What about the stars? Where do you think in the world you've seen the best star show? Oh man, probably the Pacific. I think I, I just have this this vivid memory of being the pacific and you you have stars like from one horizon to the other and when you see a shooting star like it, it starts at the horizon oh, and you have enough cool. time to be like hey look at that and then it just goes down the other side that's super cool like yeah it, and it's beautiful i mean it, they they literally look like what's the song the stars are so close you could reach out and touch them is mm-hmm. that a song i don't know you should like write it, it. <laughs> it should, should be. be but that's literally like it's literally what it feels like like they're just like so close and so vivid that yeah it's it's incredible to be out in the ocean and look at the stars definitely yeah. one of my favorite things i can imagine that's like put on a book podcast and listen to look at the stars man that's man it. that's awesome that's awesome yeah. well listen man i appreciate your time you've you've yeah. done something that's really super cool and and i'm glad that so many other people Thanks, have man. found it and and are supporting you guys and 
and uh, helping it to continue. So uh, hopefully some people from this podcast will do the same cool. and uh, check yeah. you out. But uh, we'll stay in touch and, and uh, see how it goes with your next project. Thanks so much, man. It was really nice talking to you. Hopefully yeah. if I'm out on the East Coast, I'll come say what's up. Right on. Let's do it. All right. That's it for today. Thanks. See you.